Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We are back with an all new Keep It Home edition. Truly home. Like I went back to ne- I went back to Nebraska home. Like that's how home we are. Are you back in Nebraska? I, I drove all the way back here. Yes. What? <laughs> yes. What? My, well, it was that half like okay. I'm sitting in an apartment in LA, like just a studio, doing nothing in Koreatown. There wasn't really any room to move, so I was like, let me just go back to where I have a backyard, at least for the next few weeks. And run around. Wow. Like the free well, spirit. Well, at least you drove there. Yeah. <laughs> the Alexander yeah. Painery of it all. My gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But everything's good. Uh, I feel much happier. I'm with my mom. So, like, you know. And I can do all this from here. So. I mean, she could have drove all night and she did. Wow. <laughs> Happy Celine Dion to you. Thank um, you. Yeah. No, what is your proximity to wheat in Nebraska right now? To the, like, the crop? Yes. Currently... It's about 10 feet away from, from me. <laughs> oh, it's just lingering outside the window. Wow. Yeah, where, where I live. I kind of live on the outskirts of a city that's kind of close to a very rural area. So there is a farm right next to me. Wow. Mm. I know. Mm. Very Laura Ingalls Wilder. <laughs> We've needed a rustic edition of Keep It, and here we are. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> An actual child of the corn. But Love guys, wrap this it. up. Wrap this up because I got to churn butter right after this. Uh, I hope you also see that I am wearing my Beachella sweater in oh, honor of you. Aida. Your Beachella sweater, yeah, it looks cute. Well, I saw that you posted the like um, the album, like pick your favorite track off of every Beyonce album, and I almost screenshot it and put Solange for everything. And I was like, let me not, like, let me just let me <laughs> let these people get, have their little moment. Stung enough in your mentions oh, last week. That's very true. I was destroyed. No one was on my side. And everyone who was on my side privately DM'd me. Like, no one is proud that they prefer Solange <laughs> over Beyonce. So I'm sure I've said this before. Uh, the Beachella uh, Destiny's Child medley doesn't get enough credit. I, I loved exactly what she picked for it, which I believe was true. Say My Name, Soldier, and Lose My Breath. Yes. Yeah. Would have loved to hear Cater to you. There was also a bit of Charlie's Angels in it, the intro. Oh, correct. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Anyway, Aida's, your hot take last week was so much fun that we're doing Lewis's this week. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait for this one because it is such a Lewis take. It's so naughty. Mm -hmm. Wait for it. (laughs) (laughs) We're also going to be joined this episode by repeat Keep It guest, Matt Rogers. Three-time Keep It winner, Matt Rogers. (laughs) And uh, Dave Mazzoni, who are the hosts of the new Quibi show, Game Show. Can you believe Quibi is out? I feel like it's been an unknowable concept that has been talked about for decades now. And finally we get to experience it. I worked on a Quibi show. Right. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Jer- Jared Goldstein's on that, right? Yeah, that yes. Nikki show. I can't wait to watch that. I can't yeah. wait to watch that. Um, it literally feels like ages ago that I mm-hmm. wrote on a Quibi show for an actual month. Nikki because Fresh. What's the real world at this point? I don't know. Um, I had something that I had. I subscribed to Quibi and it was like, this will be canceled in July like 7th. And I was like, that's not a real date. We're not going to be alive by then. Like, I'm not worried about changing my subscription in the summer. That's crazy. What culture was everyone 
consuming this week. I know our good friend Larry David was busy reading Woody Allen's memoir. (laughs) And learning a lot about what he believes about Woody Allen, which is that he did nothing wrong, probably. (laughs) But also gave an interview where he said that he couldn't finish Tiger King. And I'm like, you couldn't finish Tiger King, but you could finish Woody Allen's memoir. Where's your boundary? Okay. Larry, where are your boundaries at? <laughs> Just tore through it. It's a real page turner. <laughs> Cheryl Hines, walk out. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aida, what have you been into this week? Okay, so in my descent into my spiral of the content I'm consuming, I've left TV, movies, and I'm just watching people go live on Instagram because now there's actual programming. Like Swiss Beats is putting artists together to do competitions with their songs. Yes. Quibi has Reese Witherspoon (laughs) talking to Offset. Like there's nothing more entertaining than what's going on on live right now. And um, First of all, I've been really enjoying the battles so far yes because i think like it first started with swiss beats and timbaland like just doing a battle on mm-hmm. instagram live and now it's morphed into other writers and producers doing instagram battles they're all combinations that you're like oh i didn't know i needed this and then you watch it and you're like i can't live without seeing i'm in love with the stripper get played with a Lil john song like it makes no <laughs> sense right was there not a t-pain Lil john moment also yeah there, there was a That's t-pain little john one which was so much fucking fun until yeah. both of them niggas decided to ruin it. Wait, is that when they played new music? Is that what you're saying? Well, no. When T-Pain was like, I don't care. It was a hit. I'm going to get in trouble for this. And then he played his song with R. Kelly. See, that is... <laughs> <laughs> you had one job, not to bring up R. Kelly. Yeah. He played I'm a Flirt, the R. Kelly track that he yes. featured on. And it's unfortunately such a good song, but unfortunately also such a bad man. So don't play yeah. that Also, music, we T-Pain. didn't need it. We didn't need it we didn't. in that battle. He has plenty of other hits. Also, Little John started to ruin it by revealing that he was anti-vax. We're supposed to not let these people speak, bro. We're supposed to only <laughs> let them release music, not opinions. Uh, who vaxed? Yeah. Who vaxed? Who vaxed? Wow. <laughs> um, but, it, but it was fun because I still contest that 17 years later, I think Salt Shaker by the Ying Yang Twins produced by Lil Jon, is my yeah. favorite song. Ever or from them? It's my favorite song. I, that oh, is, it goes fair. off. It's constantly. a really, really good song. I would constantly. say that about Chopped and Screwed by T-Pain. Okay, so. okay. There was also a sad pop battle organized last week that, so each battle has amassed about like 200 to almost 300,000 people mm-hmm. watching on Instagram Live. And... There was a battle between Ryan Tedder and Benny Blanco, which was a pop battle, and nobody wanted that. <laughs> really, nobody wanted it. 10,000 people watched it. That doesn't shock me at in all. In comparison to the other ones. Half of Ryan Tedder's songs were fu- his fucking One Republic songs. Who cares? And I like Ryan Tedder for what he writes for other people. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think One Republic slaps. Like, Counting Stars is a bot, but, like, it was not in the spirit of the other battles. You know, like, we had... Scott Storch versus Manny Fresh. Like, this is just giving you a different vibe and a culture <laughs> than what you're going to get from some One Republic songs that you hear in the grocery store. I do feel like One Republic is a band that will never die. Like, every nine years, One Republic will have a number three hit. You know how just Counting Stars appeared out of nowhere? Who was asking for that? I, I was living my life in 2014 <laughs> or whatever, and they reappeared. 
Uh, uh, Lewis, what have you been into this week? This is a book that I was actually reading before, but it's called Legendary Children. It's by the bloggers Tom and Lorenzo, Tom Fitzgerald and uh, Lorenzo Marquez. They wrote about Whoa, the connection. Whoa, you're reading a book? I'm, it's very shocking. It's smallish, <laughs> don't worry. Um, <laughs> but it connects like uh, queer history to... Uh, the past 10 years of Drag Race. Mm. And so it teaches you certain things like, for example, the lipstick writing that they do on the wall or on the mirror at the end of every episode of Drag Race has its origins in Butterfield 8 with Elizabeth Taylor when she writes No Sail on the Mirror. And there's also a scene in Lady Lady Sings the Blues with uh, Diana Ross where she does the same thing. So it it makes like historical connections and explains traditions that lead to things like Snatch Game, which was what this week's episode of Drag Race was, which is, if you guys don't watch Drag Race, Snatch Game is when the contestants on RuPaul's Drag Race act like celebrities playing a game show, Match Game, Mm -hmm. and then we judge them based on how funny and spontaneous they can be. We also have not brought up this season of Drag Race, which is the most curious, strange situation. Aida, are you watching? Guys, you would not believe. So I never watched Drag Race until this season, and I went back and I've watched like the past three seasons before this season. Like it's just such a good show. If you guys don't watch it, you have to go watch Drag Race. Oh, it's but are you seeing? Out of are question. you seeing how out of fucking question. weird this season is? It feels like. See, I'm picking up kind of retro actively, but I'm seeing that yes, it is a strange season and the way they've split it up. And yeah, and it's a bizarre situation because somebody who would normally be considered a front runner that probably we'd all get behind, mm-hmm. unfortunately, has been exposed as a <laughs> serial catfisher in real life. Yeah, uh, the drag performer uh, Sherry Pie exposed uh, as somebody who worked at a playwright workshop who pretended to be a casting person. And got men to like submit all sorts of lewd tapes through that. Now, mm-hmm. here's the thing. I'm glad in a way that there is a face of catfishing because I do think it's a prevalent problem. Um, I'm glad that they are, are doing their best to cut her out of the season as best they can. Yeah. That said, I just have to say the thing she did, which was pretending to be a casting person named Allison Mossy, is <laughs> hor- horrible, but Allison Mossy is the exact arithmetic mean of what a casting official would be named. No, yes. We were we were sitting in the writer's room when this happened on Q-Force and we were talking about how I would immediately respond to an email from Allison Mossy casting. Right. Yeah. Oh, I believe her. No, you've heard of her, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds exactly like the kind of white woman who lives in Culver City and is a casting yes. director. Holds a clipboard. <laughs> has a clipboard and a shih tzu and could change my life so i'm going to email back like so it's a horrifying situation that they can't completely cut this person out of the season but this week they did snatch game um and unfortunately i thought she was by far the best player because she picked a real celebrity which was katherine hepburn did all sorts of shaky Catherine Hepburnisms, which is totally in the spirit of the game. Mm-hmm. The person who won the challenge was this uh, other awesome queen named Gigi Good, but she played like a robot character that wasn't like a real celebrity. And I, I didn't love hers that much because yeah. it didn't, it didn't play in the exact rules of the game. You need to be playing a somewhat retro celebrity or just a, an icon of some kind. Yeah, and um, she was just doing like basic robot jokes. I did like the Catherine Hepburn. It was extra funny for me because I had just watched a Katherine Hepburn film a couple days prior. I, I had never seen the film version of Suddenly Last Summer. What a crazy movie. Which, first of all, is already an insane play from Tennessee Williams that ends in like 
the plot of every Tennessee Williams play is that one of the male characters is not out. Correct. <laughs> and, and, and him sleeping with men has scandalized a small town. Uh, but this play ends in like cannibalism, which is so wild. And it's also a one-act play. So stretched into a film, it is insane. There are scenes where Elizabeth Taylor, whose character is supposed to be getting lobotomized, is like running around an asylum as like men and women are trying to grab at her. Catherine Hepburn is basically doing drag, uh, wearing like a beekeeper's veil the entire time and <laughs> swanning about a jungle that's in her backyard and talking about her dead son that maybe you're like, was they fucking? I mean, it's so <laughs> wild. And it ends, of course, in like a classic Tennessee Williams, like 30-minute monologue from Elizabeth Taylor with all the like flashes of the cannibalism. And it was, I looked it up and basically like everyone involved with the movie dragged each other for why it was awful. Tennessee Williams blamed like Gore Vidal who had worked on the script and like Mankiewicz for directing it. Mankiewicz was like, the script was lacking. Like it was an entire mess. Also a, a particular problem with that movie is that I mean, it'd be one thing if you saw some version of the cannibalism on screen, but the it's an, the entire last act of that movie is a retelling of something. So you're hearing mm-hmm. about something that basically mm-hmm. occurred off screen, which is so, you know, like a play from the 50s, which is what it is. And unfortunately, every play, like I said, from Tennessee Williams deals with that sort of like male sexuality and homosexuality scandalizing a town. But unfortunately, because of the film code, whenever his plays got made into films back then, they cut out all the blatant references to homosexuality. So you really sort of just have to infer it. Right. It's so wild watching from like a modern perspective trying to be like, was, is this what they meant by like faggot back then? <laughs> right, no. Also, it's like the men aren't gay, they're nervous or whatever, you know? Yeah. It was so good having Jeremy O'Hare's on last time, but I was um, realizing I haven't read a play since I was mandated to read plays. Do you know what I mean? Oh, girl. So if, you gotta I know, that. so I... And I think there's probably a lot of people listening who are like, I would love to do that too. So if you guys could say your top plays that I could go immediately read right now. Uh, I mean, speaking of Tennessee, I mean, he's one of my favorite playwrights. I would say read The Glass Menagerie or A Streetcar Named Desire, Mm. uh, which we talked about last week with Betty Gopin. Mm -hmm. Uh, My favorite play is from August Wilson. Um, It's called Joe Turner's Come and Gone. And he is a black playwright who wrote um it's called his century cycle he has a play set in um every decade of last century and it's about a different black family in each time period like just to show like the history of african americans and Uh, some have crossover characters but they all take place in pittsburgh yeah okay yeah um what's weird is we were supposed to do joe turner at my college at Loyola Chicago uh, and he was supposed to come because he was friends with um, Jonathan Wilson the professor who directed that play but he actually died during the rehearsal process of our play Ooh, to get away from you I totally understand <laughs> August Wilson you did the right thing Abandoned you don't want to get into that career. conversation <laughs> well thank you noted we'll read we'll report back did we get into what you're into this week Ira or is that what you were into this week uh no what I got into this week actually was um 
I've been like, you know, trying to revisit films that I haven't seen before, uh, like suddenly last summer. Uh, and I watched also this really interesting movie on Criterion called Losing Ground okay. uh, from this director, Kathleen Collins, who is sort of just really smart. Um, and it's like a 1980s film where a man and a woman are living in New York and their marriage sort of is falling apart um, and he wants to go to the countryside to paint because he's an artist, etc. He like finds this woman there who's like his muse and he starts drawing her. But like the thing about it is it's like early 80s independent film. She was actually the first black woman to direct a feature-length film since the 20s. And just the vibe of what a early 80s independent movie shot in New York is like, it's just so weird to me. Do you get that kind of Tootsie view of New York City? Is there like an open air grandeur to the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, but it's, you know, you're getting a view of sort of like Harlem and, you know, it's just sort of like beautiful shots of the city and just like beautiful shots of like people, um, beads of sweat rolling down their skin, you know, and just very sort of like casual ease to it, you know, almost sort of like, Cassavetes ish, but mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, with, from mm-hmm. from a black female filmmaker mm-hmm. with a black cast in the early eighties. Um, she made another film after that, but she unfortunately died of breast cancer suddenly after both of those films. And then I was watching, rewatching Crooklyn, um, yes. the Spike Lee film. Sorry, spoiler alert, Alfred Woodard dies of like yeah. cancer in that film too, uh, which has been a very dark period uh because um shout out to my um grandmother who actually listens to this podcast every week um she has a cancer diagnosis and started chemo this week Mm. so i unintentionally picked two films that were going to put me in my feelings yeah but um crooklyn is actually a lovely movie uh and that doesn't really give anything away telling you about alfrey you should watch it it's just sort of um an anomaly i think in spike's filmography because it's just so loose and like not really following a storyline it's like a young black girl's coming of age story in the 70s in brooklyn and it just seems unlike a film that we would sort of see now about black people growing up it's my favorite spike lee probably because it relates to me the most you know it's centered around a little black girl and you don't even realize she's essentially the main character or her relationship with her mother is the main character of the story until about like halfway into the movie I think that's so interesting. Also, RuPaul is in it in a cameo. So strange. That convenience store scene when she comes in and she's like, what is that that person doing? I keep doing? my pussy clean. Yes. <laughs> it is It is wild, but it also reminds you of a thing that um, RuPaul said, I think, in the Joan Rivers documentary just about how the fact that like early 90s before conservatism like really sort of hit America again, like RuPaul was sort of like, a mainstream celebrity. Oh yeah! Wow. He 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 would always be at the like MTV Movie Awards or whatever. Yeah. I meant to say also about Alfre Woodard. Weirdly, I watched the movie Passion Fish this week, mm-hmm. which mm. is Alfre Woodard and Mary McDonnell. Uh, Mary McDonnell is nominated for an Oscar for it, and Alfre Woodard plays like her live-in maid. She's a former uh, Mary McDonnell's a former soap star who is uh, becomes paralyzed and needs to be looked after, and she's very sassy. But mm-hmm. I was doing some research on Alfre Woodard. Do you know how many Emmy nominations that woman has? So fucking many. She has 18. 18 Emmy nominations. Holy. Four wins. So it's not even an Angela Lansbury situation where we owe her one. She has been cleaning up all these years. I know. And I'm just like, Alfre has always been someone who I've 
scene in like so many black films as a kid Mm -hmm. and really sort of realized her name and who she was and like got into her weirdly enough when she was on Desperate Housewives yeah, (laughs) um, in that horrible second season um, that she was so good in. But she has just been so good for so fucking long and I really wish that like her big moment of people like giving her her flowers would come. You know, like clemency was amazing. Right. No, she's usually, unlike Clemency, which you just brought up, is like fourth or fifth build most of the time. I mean, she was, like on St. Elsewhere, she was a huge star, for example. But mm-hmm. uh, no, but for the most part, she's somebody who's sort of like, if you, she was nominated for an Oscar for a movie called Cross Creek and she, with uh, Mary Steenburgen. But other than that, she's rarely in the top four people uh, on a show. On that, she was on that Katherine Heigl show, uh, mm-hmm. State of play i forget what the name of it was but anyway that's what we do with her yeah also if none of you have seen the film holiday heart with her and ving rames please watch that immediately it is heart and souls it is a camp classic (laughs) (laughs) also if you you are maybe white and have never seen love and basketball please go back and watch it because she is also in that yeah she's amazing in that and uh, what was her nomination for, Lewis? Uh, Cross Creek, that's uh, with Mary Steenburgen, where it's oh, yeah. about um, the woman who wrote The Yearling, Marjorie Kinnon Rawlings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. I have not seen that, actually, so I will make sure I watch that film. Anyway, when we're back, Matt Rogers and Dave Mazzoni join us. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. <laughs> To 
Today, we are joined by three-time Keep It guest, Matt Rogers. Wow. Hello. An honor. I mean, do I get a jacket? <laughs> I, I always call it a Drew Barrymore jacket. Like, you know when they all get five-time jackets on SNL? For, yeah. me, for, me it's a, for me, it's a Drew Barrymore jacket because she was like my most iconic five-time SNL guest for me. Candace Bergen here, but very well. Okay, great. Good for you. Yeah. That's brand. <laughs> And we have first time Keep It guest, Dave Mazzoni. Be gentle. I'm hey, a Dave. Virgin. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> Be that gentle bitch is, with me. That bitch is broken in. I can we'll tell you. Hey! Can oh confirm. Can confirm. <laughs> Out the gate. You two are hosts of the brand new Quibi show titled Game Show. Yes. Spelled G A Y M E. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's all On you need note. to know. And that's yes, all honey. you need to know. That's literally the pitch. <laughs> you say that's the log line. <laughs> that's the log line. Each episode features two straight contestants, but they're each paired with a celebrity life partner as they battle for the title of Queen of the Straits. It launched on Quibi Monday. Mm-hmm. Tell us what this show is, girl. Well, basically, we take two straight contestants, like you said. We we put one of them with a wise queer, which is a member of the LGBT community, and the other gets paired with a woman who gets it, who is a straight woman who just gets it. And um, basically, they fight to the gay death <laughs> to be named honorarily gay as fuck and reign as queen of the straights. And uh, <laughs> the points are given with... No sense of reason. Uh, it is truly exists just to have fun. And uh, yeah, it's fun. We had a really fun time doing it. There are physical challenges. There are emotional challenges. They are asked <laughs> to just basically surrender to our will for about seven minutes and 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> the show is truly fun. Thank you. And, you know, I like, we were working in the same building when I was working on Nikki Fresh, a quick show that we also love came out this week. Nikki oh, Fresh. Thank you. It's so funny. She, it's Nicole so Richie good. is so great. She's so yes, good. The um, look, she's turning look after look. <laughs> <laughs> I. Don't think any of us knew what Quibi was going to be, mm. even while we were working on it. And now it's on my phone, and I'm like, I'm loving it. I, I love your show. Yeah. Um, I'm having a lot of fun, and I would be remiss if I did not mention my favorite part of game show, <laughs> and I'm sure it is Lewis's as well, that... Your house band yes. is just Vonzo Solomon <laughs> from American Idol. Girl. Yes, ma'am. Enter the queen. Yes. It is an honor to have Vonzel. So I'm sure I'm talking to a bunch of American Idol people here. Totally. Yes. So unfortunately. I mean, unfortunately you for, are. Uh, well, the thing is that now you now you have a YouTube wormhole to truly fall plummet into, really. Um, so basically, Vonzel Solomon, for those uninformed, was the uh, Second runner-up on season four of American Idol, she should have uh, beat Bo Bice. I was that I was that girl who was up voting for her. Like, didn't even see Carrie Underwood, but, <laughs> uh, but for me, it was all about Vonzel. And it's so funny because we we knew when we were making the show, we really wanted to do this bit of having our house band, like our The Roots, be one powerhouse female vocalist because that's just something that we enjoy so much is just watching a woman absolutely belt her tits off and riff and give you everything um and so we were like that would be funny to have like the entire energy of a house band be encompassed in one single person because that's really all all we need Mm -hmm. and we were trying to think about who that person would be and my dear friend josh sharp dave and i's friend josh sharp had done the cbs diversity showcase which you guys just did together shouts out (laughs) um with vonzel solomon and i was like okay so i know she's 
around, so let's just reach out to her. <laughs> she was into it, showed up, gave you every look you needed, executed the damn job. She was so good. And comedic ad-libs. Baby V, I was like, what? Yep. She, came, yeah. no, she really came in there. I love that. She's, She's got it. She's got it. She was mm-hmm. so game from the jump, and um, mm-hmm. she really had such an incredible voice, and we really wanted to make the intros and outros really quick and snappy, and it's like, like Matt said, how many times have we like sat down and been like, wait a minute, you have to watch this video, and it's just some woman belting. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. That's just a, a part of gay culture, is gathering around a phone to watch a woman belt, um, and so... <laughs> We wanted to bring that into the show. Also, Vanzel Solomon needs to be brought up more often because after the top three on that season of American Idol, it is a mess. There's yeah. like Anthony yes. Fedorov. Like, isn't Scott Savile that season? Just all these weirdos like wandered in and Vanzel is lost in that mess and she was excellent and she's so great on Game Show. This, Thank you. Uh, another thing I love about Game Show is... Like RuPaul's Drag Race, there are small details sprinkled in throughout that just are so telling of what queer people find hilarious. Like mm. you just you just said one of them, which was one of the contestants is a woman who gets it. Yes. And something I love yes. something I love yes. about that is it's cutting because what you're suggesting is that most straight women don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> they all have was, the aptitude to get it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. But I was wondering uh, what your favorite just small details you've sprinkled in in this show, which is just chock full of them. Yeah, I think that because it's Quibi and because there was so much, not pressure, but really opportunity to um, make a seven and a half minute episode so be so engaging minute to minute that what that really said to us was let's pack it with jokes yeah. and because um, you need to breathe as a human being that actually gave us the opportunity to use the lower thirds to provide jokes and just little visual elements because really essentially this being on your phone it has to be as visually engaging as like a game or something or like something that mm-hmm. pops all around so my, my I don't know about Dave but I think my favorite element of it and Lewis and I you talked about this are the jokes in the lower third the jokes in the transitions like you know we had uh, Crooked's own John Lovett on the show as the wise queer mm-hmm. and his lower third was very quickly it just says statistically the smartest gay person yeah and then it moves on <laughs> um, so uh, I love the intros the little like oh hello Dua Lipa to you like every single pop star y'all used I was like oh that's a greeting that's probably what I was gonna mention was like that's something that we kept over from the live show was like mm-hmm. when, when we were trimming it down it was like well how can we keep the little cerebral moments and like the little pieces that are like just for us and part of that was every single show we had always come out and said Demi Lovato in Demi our Lovato. <laughs> it's the gay aloha it means both hello <laughs> and goodbye yeah. um, and uh, it was like a bit that we did literally I think in the first year when we were doing the show we would always like be waiting and right before the show started we would look at each other and go okay so how do you want to go on and we would just be like do you want to say Demi Lovato again yeah. and we'd be like yeah sure and we stuck to it every time and we found a way to heighten it by changing that every single episode. But, like, we kept that in the show. And also, like, you referenced RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, Ru has so many great moments, like, that we look for in each episode that are, like, cornerstones of how the show runs. Like, may the best woman win! <laughs> and we kept a couple of those. Like, every single episode we call the end round, the grande finale. <laughs> and every single time the straights are announced, we yell, release them, like, as though they are caged in some well, way. Well, that's, that's really game shows, you know what I mean? Like, we actually watched a ton of game shows, and I'm... Like, you know, something that um, Dave thought of was we should, in terms of the aesthetics, it was let's have this like a really classic vintage, original, old fashioned game show, but packed with obviously super 
modern and subversive and queer references that come from us. So that kind of dichotomy. And I think something that you see in game shows is it is super repetitive, but in terms of the form, but that is what's great about it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, exactly now the host walks over there and like lands right there. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of love that sort of, um, repetition it's almost feeling exciting when you're watching it i'm not even shocked you're a gay man who loves blocking and choreography like what is <laughs> yes of honey course. we like we like a stage of picture course. it is in structure reference routine i was gonna ask you guys and i feel i mean i wish that i had gotten to see the show live before it went to quibi mm. so i could you know really experience it in the room when we were allowed to be in rooms with people <laughs> but i wanted to ask you guys i mean and the best part for me was seeing the like lesser known stand-up comedians like will miles and whitmer mm -hmm. Thomas. Yeah. like bending their bodies in ways that they've never <laughs> bent before busting down i know yeah truly truly bust down whitmer thomas oh my god <laughs> you know title of ep it's the title of ep <laughs> his next special his next special will be that uh, but i was gonna ask yes. what was the transition like you know i mean i know it was filmed live but what was it like you know going from probably smaller venues doing game show to moving it to quibi like how did that feel for you guys and for the uninitiated like even tell us like where game show came from yeah. yeah so dave and i were looking for a show to do specifically together we've been friends for about a decade we we met at um nyu and we were doing sort of like musical theater comedy together um just trying to find our voices um and we're both Matt, you are not allowed <laughs> to mention nyu on the show or tish i feel like or the, tish. Uh, listeners take shots every time i mention tish at this no point. Tish. Well, girl drink up <laughs> that is the last but time i'll that... say it <laughs> That is where we met. We met at that institution. Um, yes. What what Bowen Yang calls a celebrity daycare. Yes. Um, what Bowen Yang also calls a multi studio a headshot portrait studio. Um, <laughs> um, we met there. The show kind of came out of us looking for something to do together. And I had been doing in my stand up. I had been playing games like at. I was doing a lot of stand up around UCB, and there's a lot of variety shows. And I was trying to find a way to kind of stand out from sort of like it's 11:30 at night. People are like <laughs> mumbling through things that they hate. I was like, how do I go on stage and like wake everybody up? So I was playing celebrity essences, which made it all the way to the Quibi show. Um, it's changed form a bunch of times, but essentially we give clues that um, are give the essence of a particular celebrity. Like, for example, if I were to say um, a neck pillow for the airplane and a moleskin notebook, you would say... Naomi Campbell. Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham. Wrong. <laughs> Girl, you think Naomi Campbell's getting cozy. I heard, I heard airplane. And yeah. I was like, you know, honey, I'm talking comfy neck pillow and a moleskin with like a bullet journaled moleskin yeah, you know that's that's lena i do not know what that white woman's up to <laughs> but anyway we we were doing that i was doing that in my stand-up and matt came up to me and was like this is such a great idea for a show and i was like i've been thinking about stringing together a bunch of them like maybe this is something we could do and then we like text each other at the same time and we were like so brilliantly like what if we called it game show <laughs> groundbreaking the title <laughs> Like it just as soon as that title appeared, I just like painted the whole world around it. I was like, it's the price is right meets Miss Teen USA. Like the games don't matter. It's like it's taking elements from like whose line is it anyway? It's taking elements And obviously drag race. Yeah, I mean, RuPaul's drag race huge exactly. influence. So we just started doing it at UCB East, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, and we did it there for about a year and a half at the 11.30 p.m. slot on Saturdays. We would come out and we would literally ask the audience what they were doing here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, it, it gained a following in like uh, downtown New York. And then we just kept doing it and doing it. And I think that it's just funny because coming from UCB, we're truly born out of like basement comedy in New York. And you never think that your show is going to get made into something bigger, but we could always see it. Um, and especially, you know, with with queer content, it's just, it's not lost on me that it's very hard to get things made because I think when you're trying to make queer content or content for queer audiences, because we haven't seen so much of it, it has to be so many things. You know, it has to be... Um, super inclusive, which of course it should be, and then it should also be specific, but also not too specific to alienate people, and there, and also it should be, you know, not avoiding stereotypes, but also not ignoring truth behind those stereotypes, because it's funny. So, when you have something that, you have an opportunity to make a gay show, you just want to make it as authentically as possible, and Quibi was the platform, and I really give props and shout out to Quibi, who, they said, make this and keep this as gay as it was we love the spirit of it we want it to be queer as fuck we don't get all these references jeffrey katzenberg is literally on record saying i don't get this show but i love this show <laughs> and they were really really i gotta say the only network that was not concerned about us doing us and for better or worse the show really feels like us on screen and that mm -hmm. is so fun because we did this truly just out of wanting to do something together as friends and just have fun and we aimed for fun. Something that strikes me about a show like this is it's the kind of thing that's likely to be called niche mm -hmm. when in fact it's queer people being themselves. I mean, just it's so crazy like the words we use to describe what comes very naturally to us in yeah. a sort of diminishing way. You, you know? know, it's actually already been called niche by gay critics. Mm. And it's something that I have kind of, I take a little bit of an issue with that, just that word. I feel like it's a little bit of like a trigger. Name those faggots. No, Name I, I absolutely refuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to Google on that. You're going to have to Google on that one. Um, but uh, you can find it. Um, he's well known. <laughs> I don't think it's super helpful because I think that what that says to audiences, you're not going to get this. And already with Quibi, it's like you're asking people to take a little bit of a leap and download this thing. Um, even though I think the 90 day free trial really helps and everyone should download it. There's so much great stuff on there. I mean, it's like we, we got nothing but time right now. Yeah. And I think I agree with what Matt's saying is that like, you know, sometimes when you're creating a queer show, it feels like you have to, you know, if Priyanka Chopra has like a B character role on a multicam the show is diverse but when you're making a gay show it's like if it's not gay from every angle then like somebody's bound to take issue with it and what we really hope is that people take a step back and really appreciate that we're doing this for our community by our community like together and that's part of the reason why the lifeline roles exist is that we get to welcome in so many different queer people and women into the voice of each episode and also like if you think it's niche, like the, ultimately we have two characters that the person who doesn't understand anything should identify with, which is yeah. both of our straight contestants. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. It's, and that's what's been fun in the live show is seeing so many different people come to the show and all have an entry point in. Like if you're a straight guy who doesn't get what the fuck is going on, you are represented on stage. <laughs> uh, like good for you, straight men, you're represented. You know what I mean? Like, and But um, it's been interesting um, – to create this because you feel like there's eyes on it because it says it's like an LGBT show, but I think that we really tried to make this as for everyone as possible. And I think we 
are really just proud of what it is. I'm, I I hope people love it and don't take it too seriously because let me tell you something, it is dumb as fuck. Yeah, it's so <laughs> stupid. Like, we're here talking about like, oh, our place in the queer community. It's like, it's so dumb, you guys. It's so dumb. <laughs> it really is so stupid. <laughs> but I feel like that is the fun of it, you know? And I feel like Quibi is a great place for that. I mean, like, they are... First of all, putting in the work to make people watch Quibi. Y'all saw they Reese sure are. on Instagram Reese Live. Offset, talking about Growing cars. Life went offset. Ariel and I might consider being that interaction live for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> but like her with Offset, her with Lena Waithe, and then of course it was my two girls together. The last one she did was, you know, it was Reese Witherspoon, Ava Longoria, Ava Longoria, who Ira Madison the Third had me for Secret Santa, and he got me Eva Longoria's cookbook. Oh my god! Uh, did, she ever, did she ever figure out? Did did Christoph Waltz ever join her? Or did yes, he ever figure out? He okay, did live from that Berlin. Poor man. Yeah. Yes. I'm I'm gonna get Christoph. Yeah, I'll be right back. <laughs> and Reese just looking at the camera, smiling like <laughs> her kids off screen, sitting there the whole time with her. You don't know if there's a gun to their head or if they're thrillingly enjoying it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... mommy, we haven't eaten. Can we yeah, eat? <laughs> her son Deacon Philippe on his way to being a stud. I'll say it. <laughs> Listen, truly, come on. We'll we'll just leave unsaid what needs to be said, but we all know. <laughs> Say it. Uh, <laughs> his parents are Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Phillippe. And it okay, shows. There's no way. There was no way he will not be the daughter a too. Man. Is literally stunning. The daughter looks like Catherine Newton, the girl who played her daughter in Big Little Lies. Her, Reese Witherspoon's yeah. actual daughter, like spinning image of her. One thing I actually love about Reese too is like because her husband Jim Toth, yes, um, works at Quibi. That's mm-hmm. why she was you know going so hard on Instagram Live. I feel like they are such an in it to win it couple and i feel like it was born in her drunk driving incident where they were like arrested and like caught on camera like the who do you think like i um, am an american on american soil (laughs) well we should say do you know who i am it was we should say it was his drunk driving uh incident and famously her disrupting the peace Incident. <laughs> I'm obstructing your justice. I'm obstructing your justice. Interesting. Interesting. Unbelievable. She is just the the fitted like legging of a person. If that's one of her essences, it's like yeah. a really tight $94 legging. Yeah. <laughs> Soft. But that smile, is just yeah. like an incident that bonds you as a couple. Like oh, they yeah. are they are together forever. Yeah, people think Gone Girl was the start of her like second act. No, no, no. It was that night. <laughs> and also in that video, she is giving you everything from Legally Blonde to Freeway. Like yeah. uh, everything you love about her as a performer yep. is in that video. <laughs> well, that's essentially, that was like the jumping off point for like the sort of raging ocean underneath the surface that is her performance in Big Little Lies. It's like, well, this is real depth that we did not see in Walk the Line. When we get to her Kennedy Center honors, I do want this brought <laughs> yes. up. I, wa- I want to see whomever, Florence Pugh, reenact this. You know, Reese Witherspoon <laughs> at, um, getting arrested might be a good snatch game. Totally. Yes. That'd be cute. Yes. Without being erasive of black culture, I want Queen and Slim, but that. Yes. You know, like I want a full feature long movie that is that. Just the dash game. Honestly, they're, they're apparently very good friends, so Lena could produce. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Recent Slim. <laughs> Recent Jim. Oh, wow. It's um, there. It's right there. Matt, since you have actually 
guest co-hosted before. Mm. You've done a Keep It. Oh, wow. What I've always loved being on Las Culturistas is that I've always gotten to do an I Don't Think So, Honey. Yes, yes. And our guests rarely get to do a Keep It, but you've done one. one. So I want to know what your Keep It is. And Dave, I want to know what your Keep It is this week, too. Okay. I have a Keep It. Okay. Um, It's not this week, but I feel like it encompasses all of culture. And I feel like I'm I'm rarely on the show, so I am going to do it. I And my keep it has to go to the Friends reunion. Yeah. The Friends reunion can absolutely fucking keep it. It's going to be a special. We're essentially going to watch them sit down and talk about the show. Bitch, no. I Just do a like short TV movie, <laughs> which is like seeing them like come. Because in the last episode, they like all split up. They decided they weren't going to like live in the same city anymore or be friends anymore. Just put the effort in to write something where we can see them perform. We like, because I hate to remind everyone, we primarily like them because of the way they perform together, (laughs) not the way they do uh, televised specials together about where they're at. And also, not for nothing, but we know where they're at. We see them a lot. Um, So I'm not super interested in the six of them as like a friend unit or a cast. I'm interested in that group of characters. So I just think it's a kind of misfire on HBO Max's part, I guess. And also whoever's producing his part. I'm like, just write something that would be fun to watch them perform because I don't need a retrospective. I rarely ever do. Also, what could be more basic than caring if they are actually friends or not? You know, just like, I don't care what their dynamic is. I've seen the Instagram picture on Jennifer Aniston's account where they hang out sometimes. I get Who it. Who cares? You yeah. know what I mean? If you're going to do a special, then it better be with the four Sex in the City ladies. That I would watch. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sit them down and we'll, <laughs> we'll see the real tea. But I don't need the... The Friends reunion. I'm unless it's gonna be fun and like there's gonna be like narrative elements to it. I'm so not interested in. They can keep it. But also, Matt, these these little white girls need something to watch right now because they're yes. they've embroidered everything. They've embroidered <laughs> everything. They have probably broken their Keurig machines. Like they need sanity right now. This might be the only thing left. Listen, Friends is basically the new white girl when we went to college, who had um, a Breakfast at Tiffany's poster in her dorm. Very yes, that. Yes, that is what yes. Friends is. Unfortunately, yes. I do have to give these little white girls what they want, or else they're going to become Reese Witherspoon's getting arrested, which actually I'm going to take it all back. <laughs> That's a great thing. Again, still, keep it. The Friends reunion. I don't want We're it. We're hungry. We're hungry. Feed us. <laughs> Plus, if they were to write something, it could it would be 30 minutes, an hour, whatever, but like, we would I want Joey acknowledged, because the Drea De Mateo erasure, mm-hmm. I won't stand for. No, the Drea De Mateo erasure is unacceptable, and one of my favorite little arcs in television history is her on Desperate Housewives, not really knowing what the hell is going on. But we as but an eco terrorist dropping in there at the end that she's an eco terrorist. Yes, <laughs> I live. Uh, Dave, what's your keep it this week? Oh, I feel pressure when I think like, ugh, keep it like what I, I've literally put my phone down four separate times during this quarantine week mm-hmm. because I've been caught on TikTok finding all of these like 19 year old boys just queer baiting nonstop. Mm-hmm. And I'll say absolutely keep it to all of these straight boys on TikTok like showing me their dick print thinking that they're going to get me to smash the follow button. Yeah, but he is <laughs> smashing the follow button. Your heart is a rock, bitch. I know exactly who you are in your soul. I cannot confirm nor deny that I have smashed the follow. I may have created a separate TikTok because I am too embarrassed about the follows that I'm making, but like TikTok has me pigeonholed right now in like this place where it's like all these young 
Latin boys, like completely hairless, like doing this move where they like pop their ass in the in the camera. Yeah. I don't even know like what it is or what the point of it is, but it's basically like how. Also, there's this one where they like dry their hair, and it's about hearing their dick flop back and forth. <laughs> like it's about hearing the sound of their dick and balls like that flop fat, fat. to either side, and it's like how big that sound is is like you know what they're saying about like the size of their dick. <laughs> And when I tell you, I've watched every one of them, and it's insufferable. <laughs> My grandparents' generation had George Gershwin. Yeah. We have, I have ball kid, sounds. I have a kid named COVID who's like, <laughs> which honestly, oh, I think is a, a very handsome boy's name. I plan, if, my, if I have a son, I'm going to name him COVID. If I have a daughter, I'm going to name her Quibi. That's right. Aww. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lewis, you know, you know, Cole Porter back in your grandparents' time was slapping his dick everywhere. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I mean he, he would have been stories. on TikTok. I feel like these guys, like they they look in the camera and they give that like squinty eye, like I'm fixing my hair, and then like, oldest trick in the book. There's no button, there's no joke, and it has 20 million views. Like yeah. it's absolutely out of control. Where content is right now and what is soaring is like so dumb. I think. You know, maybe maybe game show should be on TikTok. Yeah, honestly. but Let's meanwhile, shit. I was going to say before we got on, meanwhile, we've just been called a faggot directly to our faces on Twitter. <laughs> For the first time. Oh, <laughs> right right yes! before we got right before we I what know, happened? it's so exciting. Right before we got on, um someone like had a compilation of of women saying faggot like and it was like a quote retweet of like something I posted about the show. <laughs> oh my god. Congratulations. So been, oh, we've been gay bashed. Oh my god. I mean the faggotry of this episode. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't even know how the girls will handle it. <laughs> They'll I mean, take it. We're gay, but we're still white, so we can take it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely that. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Guys, that. thank you so much for being uh, here. Yeah, we're, thank, uh, thank you yeah. so much for having us, you guys, and thank you for still doing the show. It's obviously the iconic podcast of our modern times. So keeping everyone you. alive. Yeah, very, very much. Drought. Yes. Yeah. Give well, everyone you. should watch. Game show on Quibi. Yes, it is fantastic. There are when other, do we get more episodes? When yeah. do we get more episodes? Every day. There's a, so actually today my favorite episode came out and it's with Bob the Drag Queen and Darcy Carden. I watched it. I watched yes. it this morning. It's so fucking funny. Thank you. We yeah. play a game called Gay Oregon Trail where the two straight boys have to try to survive a major American city's pride festival and it's a game that's yes. near and dear to our hearts. So Yes, the winner is basically who stays alive. <laughs> uh, also, in your, I love Celebrity Essences Thank because you. I try to figure them out. And I got two of them. Did you? Of course. Well, today yes, I was, yes. today is Taylor made for Lewis. It's actually Lewis's icon who's the celebrity essence today. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to snatch that. See. It's you will for see. you. The one that was AOC, I thought was Anne Hathaway. And that's a, that's actually, um, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> you will, you, the difference between them will be made very explicitly clear very soon. Mm-hmm. Yes, the answers to these are in books. So just read a little, study. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, love the show, guys. The show is so fun. The show is so engaging. Like, you guys did a really good job. Thank love you. it. Yeah. So much. Thank you. Love so, it. Quibi is the moment. And honestly, what the fuck else are y'all going to do? So <laughs> download Quibi, watch a game show. Mm-hmm. And Nikki Fresh. And Nikki yes, Fresh. And Nikki Fresh. And and singled out with our friend Joel Kim Booster. Yes. Singled out and is Kiki great. Palmer. And Kiki Palmer. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Anyway, when we're back, we've got Lewis's hot take. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland. 
and discover a place that just feels lighter. Where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group. Where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season. Where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door. Where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. We're back with our hot takes segment, our sporadic weekly segment to get your mind off the pandemic and mm. focus on our very important cultural debates. Uh, this week, we have Louis Fertel. Keeping it petty. You have a notebook full of scandals. I look like Harriet the Spy. <laughs> I'm holding a small notebook. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, steam is coming out of Lewis's ears right now. Just get ready for what's about to come. Okay. Emma Stone, winning the Best Actress Oscar for La La Land, is potentially the worst win of the 21st century. And I am considering Renee Zellweger in Cold Mountain, so just know I've considered all the angles. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. So this is worst win in just acting categories, yes? Correct. Yes. Okay. But including... Best Actress, Supporting Actress, and the Actors. As you well. got it, honey. W- w- welcome to it. Welcome to it. In the 21st okay. century or just the past decade? Are we talking like since 2000? Well, Aida, I'm going to answer that this way. Okay. The 2010s, I am very confident this is true. The 2000s, I'm considering. Okay. So okay. definitely the 2010s. Okay. Well, I would say that it's definitely the last decade for Lewis because I know that you have your vendetta against Kim Basinger's win for LA Confidential. Okay, yeah, that's true. But that's 1997. Yes, no, yeah. we're not going back that far. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, why don't you state your reasoning for this first before I go ahead and disagree with you? Yeah, speak on it. It better be good. <laughs> Very good. First of all, when it comes to musical performances winning Oscars, and believe me, I want this to happen way more often, if you compare this performance to the ones that have won previously, it is so much less iconic, so much less professional. It's not Rita Moreno. It's not Julie Andrews and Mary Poppins. It's not Liza Minnelli in Cabaret. Mm-hmm. Emma Stone, who is such a capable dramatic actress and comic actress, as a musical performer, I feel like this movie for her was kind of just a lark, something she was seeing if she could do it. She wasn't like finding her bliss and her purpose as a performer by dancing with Ryan Gosling on screen. To me, her win in this movie is like if Ryan Gosling won, which is to say, this isn't what they're best at. It feels so weird to give them the ultimate acting honor for something that they are kind of just dabbling in. Furthermore, this particular year, Emma Stone was up against the French Meryl Streep, potentially our greatest living actor, Isabelle Huppert, at the peak of her craft in a bonkers-ass movie called Elle, which we've talked a little bit about on Keep It in past years. But if you haven't seen Elle, it's a very strange, I'll call it a black comedy, but it has all sorts of genres in it. Uh, A woman is raped and... that's how the story begins and it morphs into the story of her strange relationship with somebody and her relationship with her family and anyway Isabel Huppert is giving you the craziest laughs and also the wildest drama you would never watch La La Land and then watch this movie and think Emma Stone deserves an Oscar over her and in fact when I think of problems with the Academy or the Oscars in general when I think of this particular year the deal is people did not watch Elle 
That is the problem. Mm-hmm. People watched La La Land. They were forced into it. How much money went into that campaign? And they were not particularly compelled to see the French woman not speak English and hit us with the blackest laughs of the year. By the way, I would say that the height of Isabel Huppert's career was actually uh, Greta. <laughs> Ira, now I can't hit you through the television. <laughs> you know you've upset me. She, as Isabel Huppert playing second fiddle to Chloe Grace Moretz is not a move. Not what I want for her. So I think it's the worst win of the 21st century because the chasm between the performances nominated is so huge. Mm-hmm. But also, like, you had Natalie Portman and Jackie nominated that year. You had Mer- uh, Meryl Streep and Florence Foster Jenkins. Now, a lot of people make fun of that performance. For most people, that would have been a career highlight. She really was spectacular in that very quaint Hugh Grant movie. She was mm-hmm. endearing while being on stage, sounding like a squeak toy. Like, yeah. how do you <laughs> manage to be that talented? And then also that year was Ruth Nega, because I know her because she's Ethiopian, and um, in Loving. Correct. Which I just watched recently. No, let me, yes. let me say something about Loving. That movie, to me, feels like about a quarter of a movie. Like, they didn't get to the part... That was super compelling. It was a whole movie about, can you believe that these two people in the Loving versus Virginia famous civil rights case lived a cute life? Like that was the whole point of the movie, I guess. And that they were sort of dogged in their small town. I don't know. That movie almost didn't have a reason to exist for me. Mm -hmm. But um, Ruth Negga also stunningly gorgeous. Shockingly gorgeous. She is mesmerizing in Ad Astra. (laughs) The whole movie is mesmerizing. And, I mean, every, everyone is gorgeous and mesmerizing and hot, and I left the movie feeling confused, but also horny. Sure, <laughs> sure. Well, Brad Pitt. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, fair. And space. Well, speaking like, of Brad Pitt. <laughs> space. Spe- space speaking of Brad Pitt, he is involved in why I am going to go ahead and disagree with you on that one. Okay. Like Miss Emma Stone. Before I explain why, I will say that I feel like Emma in La La Land, did what the script required. Very well. I think that I think she did what she had to do, what, what she was, was contractually to obligated to do, what was given to her. And I think part of that film, too, is like it was marketed as this big musical comedy, romantic musical drama, but like it isn't really a musical. It's sort of about people who are into music, and it tricks you enough into thinking that it is like this big musical enough that it can be marketed as one but like when you rewatch it it's not really a musical do you know, you know? what i would compare it to not in that, in that way sense. um 101 dalmatians like yeah there's music in it but it's not yeah. the prime focus that said in la la land there are it starts with a big musical number so yeah. it's not it, it like dabbles in musicality yes however if we want to talk about someone who i think didn't really rise above awful material and um, maybe gave her career worst performance. I feel like perform- we have the same one, but go it ahead. is Meryl Streep and Iron Lady. Oh, I just think that I think that movie is just so awful, and I think she's so sorry lazy in it. Well, I will say this: I mean, Meryl Streep gets a lot of credit for her accents, which are, of course, immaculate. But I also think she is an extraordinary mimic. I mean, to me, she really brought to life Margaret Thatcher in a movie that is about the wrong part of her life. Mm -hmm. Like, that makes no sense. But I think the level of talent she brings to a truly awful script is also admirable in a way. So anyway, your argument's been shut down and I win. Well, I mean, (laughs) she-devil. She-devil, yes. She does that. But, you know, also that year who she was up against... 
Viola and the Help. Which Viola herself disowns. Yes, of course. <laughs> but she disowns it, but she was still good. She true, still deserved true. it, yes. You cannot deny the talent that was on stage. <laughs> also that year was Michelle Williams in My Week with Marilyn. That's a pretty good performance for a two-star at most movie. Yeah. Um, but getting back to my Brad Pitt point... I would argue <laughs> that the worst acting win of the 21st century was the one that stole his Oscar for Moneyball, and that would be Jean Dujardin in The Artist. The Artist. A truly awful film. And he has not delivered anything else since that really earns that. I tried to watch it again and stopped it at 20 minutes, and I was like, he won Best Actor for a film he does not say a word in. Like it does We were not- duped. It's ridiculous. It should not have happened. It shouldn't have been allowed. I have distrusted the Academy ever since. I felt like Oprah talking to James Fry. <laughs> I was duped. Um, it, what's interesting is when I posed this Emma Stone take online, most of the people responded with um, Jennifer Lawrence in Silver Linings Playbook, which is not a performance I'm obsessed with and not, I think, signature her. Or they brought up Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club, which that's- That was me, offensive. But to me, that's a case of- the role is written in a corny way, like, oh, this trans person is too beautiful to live. The minute that character appears on screen, you know it's going to be tragic for that character. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I will the performance say, itself, itself is fine. I see your Emma Stone, and I agree with you, and I don't want to take that sentiment away, but I will raise you one Miss Sandra Bullock in yes, 2010. Yes, she, she was also on my list. Who won Best Actress for The Blind Side. And I think that, like, you're, as you're saying, it's important to look at these wins as standalones, but also relatively what they took away from the other actresses that were in that category – Meryl Streep, Julia and Julia, which is actually one of my favorite Meryl Streep performances. Gabourey Sidibe in Precious. And Monique went on to win Best Supporting Actress for that year. So it would have been mm-hmm. perfect. It would have been a beautiful time for Gabourey Sidibe to have won that Oscar. Gabourey um, deserved. Was- Meryl was, that's one of her best comic performances. I agree with you, Aida. That yes. was also on my list. And Helen, Helen Mirren. Helen, that, that category was crazy. Carrie Mulligan. It was just an insane category to be in for her doing her foghorn leghorn accent to win <laughs> an entire... Are you kidding me? Sandra no. Bullock won an Oscar for speaking to the manager. That's it. Yes. And yes. for having bangs. For having she blonde played, bangs. She played, the, she played the ultimate Karen in that Also, <laughs> I, I mean, like, you just reminded me why I specifically picked the 2010s the first time I did this. Because that is an atrocious win. To Meryl Streep and Julie and Julia, I think, is my favorite biopic performance of all time. Of all mm-hmm. time. And it yeah. helps that Julia Child is such a first of all, affable character and very like imitable, but also Meryl Streep does a fucking amazing job in that movie. Ugh. But if we want to go for the 2010s, um, the female Jean Dujardin, who also won an Oscar and then has not returned on their investment, Alicia Vikander. What do you mean? The Danish Girl. What do you? A truly pitiful film. I, I'm going to leave <laughs> the whole podcast right film. now. I love it. I'm sorry, are you... Are you a are you a Vistander? I love that movie. <laughs> Tom Tom Hooper Tom Hooper except for cats can do no wrong. I don't care. Like I really don't care. He can do no wrong except when he does the single wrongest thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <wrong>. exactly. <laughs> God, I love the Danish Girl is a good film because of her, not because of Eddie Redmayne. That's I just want to make mm. that clear. My problem with her in that movie, and I'm sure I've said this on Keep It Before, is her performance is too contemporary for me. Like 
it's not that I don't believe she would be a progressive thinker and and like a really good friend to Lily Elbe in the 1910s, mm-hmm. but her whole demeanor felt to me like Jennifer Lawrence. It didn't feel like somebody who was living in the 1910s. She has a Brie Larson face. You know, one that I'm like, you look like an Instagram girl. I don't want to see you in <laughs> anything Scandinavian. Like, I want to see you in Fashion Nova or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, their faces are mm-hmm. just too of the time. I don't know. That it's difficult. She's, she's, getting, she's, getting, she's getting an Oscar she didn't need. She's in action movie franchises that we didn't need. I was rewatching the iconic Salt, which is a net, now on Netflix, mm-hmm. and the number six movie on Netflix, uh, My Impact. Uh, <laughs> and it was making me remember that, like, I haven't seen the Lara Croft films in forever, and I need to rewatch them because Angelina is just like, insult like she's just so good you know like she is she makes you believe that her body could go through the things that her character Mm -hmm. is doing you know and alicia vikander as lara croft girl that that was a mess i mean the abs were there but not much else um yeah no i was gonna say about angelina jolie Almost nobody in history has combined grit and glamour the way she does. Charlize has bordered on it, but Angelina really just, I think it's in the eyebrows, just that the whole like, um, I'm, gl- I'm glancing at you and I'm pissed. I would also say yeah. it's in the cheekbones. I think it requires an angularity that needs mm. to be there. It's like a fierce look. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely attributes. Right. I believe she can jump that fast and far because she's so aerodynamic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she looks like she constantly has wind in her face. I- Uh, But you've heard enough from our disagreements, Louis. So why don't we kick it to some of our listeners who we asked to send us voice memos on whether or not they agreed with you about Emma Stone. Hey, y'all. Malcolm from Dublin, Georgia. Bet y'all never heard of that place. Going to have to agree with Louis on that one. Emma Stone and that Oscar? I don't know what the Academy was thinking that year when they had Viola Davis acting her ass off in Fences and they had the nerve to downgrade that woman into Best Supporting Actress. But what did we have? Emma Stone shucking and driving around L.A. being a damn white girl? Come on now. Y'all know that was effed up. That nomination and that Oscar belonged to Viola Davis. Let's not forget, we only have six black women in the whole fucking 90-plus years of the Oscars nominated for Best Actress. Cicely Tyson, Diana Ross... Whoopi Goldberg, Angela Bassett, who fucking deserved to win, Holly Berry, and Viola Davis for the help. Come on, let's give this woman her dues. Y'all are about to make her the fucking Susan Lucci of black people. <laughs> wow, we all, first of all, congrats. You're the fourth Keep It uh, panelist. You're joining. Uh, See, I was going to go say ahead that. and stand on him. Please I have to join scrape, us. scrape my jaw <laughs> off the floor. That voice. The attitude, everything about it was just a performance. Thank you. Thank you so much. Also, La La Land is now officially called Being a White Girl is the yeah. name of the yes. movie now. Chucking and jiving. Chucking and jiving, <laughs> being a white girl. <laughs> that is an interesting case of, because if Viola Davis had run as a Best Actress nominee that year, I think she probably would have won. You know what I I'm, think? Correct? I think that she don't trust white people, though. No, and I don't either. As she shouldn't. After the Iron Lady fiasco, I understand. <laughs> I'm there, but it's that's correct. And what I, you know, what um, 
that person did a good job of doing is making me remember there were snubs that need to be talked about too. And Amy Adams in Arrival that year was one of my favorite performances, and I love that movie. So oh god, yep, we had that. We had uh, Annette Bening in Twentieth Century Women. It was a yeah. towering oh. year for actress performances. I guess that person agrees with you. I don't know. I still think you guys are wrong. I think Sandra Bullock did a worse job than Emma Stone did in La La Land. Yeah, and I will. I, 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 I still, in- I still would go with Jean Dujardin. <laughs> Jean. I will say this. I feel good about Sandra Bullock having an Oscar. Jean Dujardin does make me slightly ill. Mm-hmm. I think someone also tweeted recently, it might have been Richard Lawson, that they think that if Grey Gardens had been released theatrically the year that it came out on HBO, that Drew Barrymore actually would have been nominated and won that Oscar over Sandra Bullock because the whole narrative of a... Hollywood child star gone good would have been too much to pass up. I just want to know, Lewis, like what movie, like what makes you think Sandra Bullock should have an Oscar? Was it the hoity-toity, like Miss the proposal? Every, everyone Miss in Congeni- Miss Congeniality deserves an Oscar idea. Aida. I don't know Period. about that. Period. I don't know. I just don't know. Like, I don't think she gave any type of real performance that is Oscar worthy in any movie. She and Keanu deserved Oscars for being on that bus. The bus deserved one, too. I liked her in Bird Box when she doesn't talk. That's a good performance. No, just like how La La Land is called uh, being a white girl, Speed is now called being on that bus. Uh, <laughs> uh, Aida, that's a fair question. But it's sort of like Julia Roberts for years and years was doing work that was getting a lot of attention. Obviously, she was a huge movie star, but I felt like the respect for her fell just below what she deserved. And so when she got the Aaron Brockovich win, which to mm-hmm. me is a movie that's about three stars. I'm, I'm not like mm-hmm. fully obsessed with it, but she gives a great performance in it. That to me is a career Oscar win that she deserves. And I feel like Sandra, the charm offensive that she brings really is as a career, super impressive. To me, she's like the ultra deluxe Jennifer Aniston, and that is Oscar worthy to me. I would say Gravity okay. is the movie Gravity, that she most yeah. deserves yeah. it for. That yeah. I will relate. That's where I'll relate. Gravity, I think, is a good, really good performance. I agree that Sandra Bullock does deserve an Oscar, not for that movie. For Gravity, I would say yes. And that whole Sandra and Julia Roberts thing just sort of reminds me that like earlier Oscar years like were about stars in Hollywood and we've talked about that before you know like so many of the people who get nominated and like rewarded you're like looking at them you're like who the fuck are these people you know and it's and there there are rarely any stars seen like even at the ceremony even anymore and like that's why I will always agree with a Sandra or Julia and then even on the level of like you know Denzel who's actually an amazing fucking actor you know like people like that you know like deserving to be rewarded um, as historically we've rewarded yeah, other stars, you know, not like Gary Oldman's. Who and by the way, by the way, rewatch Fences. I think it's a great movie. And people forget it was nominated for Best Picture. I think that's a yeah. great movie. Uh, we're gonna kick it to one more listener who is actually on Team Emma. Hey Lewis, it's Hannah from the UK. I think the whole idea of being a deserving Oscar film is really fucked up, and most often the Academy defaults to rewarding seriousness. And especially in the acting categories, you win an Oscar when you've suffered the most on screen. In the Best Actress category, almost all the winners of the past 10 years have some huge past trauma or mental illness, like Natalie Portman in Black Swan, Jennifer Lawrence in Silver Linings, mm-hmm. Brie Larson in Room. Emma Stone plays a really well-adjusted um, person in this film, and the worst thing that happens to her the whole time is that hardly any people show up to her play. <laughs> her character has a lot of depth, though, without using trauma as a plot device, which would have been a really easy thing to do. 
She's the emotional heart of the film and her performance is incredibly charming. Very elegant. I'm pissed. Well, okay, Hannah. Yes. Cheerio. Cheerio. Jolly good, (laughs) bitch. Jolly good. (laughs) I think I'm putting the bar for what I find to be an Oscar-worthy musical performance high in the sky because we've kept the bar so high over the past, Mm -hmm. whatever, Mm -hmm. four or five generations. But you're right. I don't think people should just win Oscars because they suffer the most or like um, we feel the worst for them. Yeah. You know, because that's not the same thing as respecting an actor's talent, I think. That said, do we think the dancing in La La Land was that great? I'm sorry. Let's get down to brass tacks. It was not good. It wasn't. That was a really good point that she brought up because I hadn't considered like movies like The Room or Still Alice that deliberately... It's almost kind of like a, a bit of an Oscar bait, honestly, when you have these heart-wrenching stories about women who are flawed inherently. I think that it's very easy to relate with performances where the woman is playing a mentally ill character because, first of all, we are all mentally ill. Second of all, it's just it just feels easy, and it feels like Oscar bait. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's true. Another interesting point is, the year Brie Larson won, she like strode to victory. It was hers the entire time. And that year she was up against Saoirse Ronan in Brooklyn, Kate Blanchett and Carol, obviously my favorite performance mm-hmm. of the past 10 years, mm-hmm. Charlotte Rampling in 45 years. And, th- and it's like, why did she necessarily beat all of these performances? And it's because to me, she cried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She cried and didn't have makeup on the whole movie. She really got locked up in that room. <laughs> right. She wasn't <laughs> lying. Right. If, you're, yeah. if we're talking about truth telling, she was in the room. She was. She was in. She, that, was, she was in that room where where nothing happened. She was in the room. She was in the room where nothing happened. <laughs> but yes. But yes. All right. That's Lewis's hot take. Points have been made. Less heated than last week. Also, you guys really brilliantly brought it. I uh, I, I had to snicker at my own take as you guys uh, uh, were like were like little lawyers. <laughs> Points were made. Points were made. But ca- were cases closed? What did we decide? I think you guys made compelling cases for Jean Dujardin and Sandra Bullock. However, I just want to say, in the future, if you're going to be in a musical, please be A+. And by the way, I just want to say, Emma Stone, brilliant in Battle of the Sexes, brilliant in Birdman, I, I, the favorite. I the love, favorite, love, yeah. love her. But I just would not even put this in her top seven performances, though I am not an easy A stan, unlike you children who are obsessed with that movie. Okay, objection. <laughs> Intolerable cruelty. That is intolerable cruelty. That's a legal term, right? It's a movie for babies. Feels like a Nickelodeon movie. Love that Uh, movie. Love that movie. Fuck you, Lewis. You had us and now you just lost us. I know. When we're back, keep it. If you can, please consider supporting Crooked's Coronavirus Relief Fund. Just go to crooked.com slash coronavirus. And now, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode, even in quarantine. It's keep it. I can't wait. This is actually the only thing keeping me sane is that we come together every week to talk shit. Like, this is the only thing keeping me okay. No, truly. It has been... Honestly, my saving grace each week to just like still be able to do this while isolated in my home. So I was going to say during this time of 
crisis and panic. It's nice that petty things can still ruin my life. It's really thrilling. <laughs> yes. Like as, as long as I still have enough energy to expend on complaining, I'm good. I'm good. Like everything is good. Okay. I'll go first though. My keep it this week um, goes to a precious tyrant by the name of Tom Nook. Now, <laughs> now, I don't know how many of y'all or if you two are playing Animal Crossing, but this game has destroyed my understanding of like spending, saving, and comfort, just personal comfort. So this guy's name is Tom Nook. He's this little raccoon, bear, ferret. I don't know what he is. He's an animal who takes you to this new island where you can create a new life, which is great because we're all kind of stuck at home and we can live this game and live vicariously through these avatars that we create and get to play on Nintendo Switch. Everyone's having a blast. But every time I play this damn game, this man will be like, you owe me a quarter million bells. That's the currency of this game, bells. And he'll be like, and it's not even like a gambling debt where you're like, oh, there's this thing looming over my head. I have to go pay it. It's such a casual, like, oh, just whenever you're in my house, you. I want to remind you, you owe me a quarter million bells. I cannot enjoy the game. I cannot live life. I cannot just garden. I have to be making money constantly. And even though it's been a great escape and I love this game, I would just like to say, fuck that little raccoon. Fuck the little things he's making me do. And I know if you guys play Animal Crossing, you understand what I'm going through right now because it is addictive. But um, the goals are so nebulous. You, it, it drives you crazy. It really can. So that's my keep it. Of all animals that I think should be hounding people for money, though, raccoon seems exactly right. I know. Like hanging out in your garbage can being like, <laughs> what about a little money for me? Please. Like washing their hands and like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. are you still playing, Ira? I am about three days in. Yes. So I'm playing I'll Bite Slowly. I always get a new video game and then end up not playing it. Uh, I've been so focused on this thousand-piece Archie puzzle that I've been doing. Mm. And it's just been distressing me. I'm at the end, but now there's just literally 20 five red pieces for me to figure out which go which yes that's there is something so again to bring it up the like room about us all being stuck in our in our tiny little homes just trying to entertain ourselves with yeah. thousand piece puzzles that, <laughs> that is <laughs> i had promised myself i'd download the sims 4 because i missed the thrill of drowning my neighbors oh what a <laughs> what a stress reliever lewis you are a sociopath Lewis is a gay sociopath and that might be the most dangerous combination I've ever heard he's a Hitchcock character (laughs) Andrew Cunanan too (laughs) okay I'm done (laughs) Lewis what's your keep it Um, my keep it is to something I'm happy a lot of people got on board with to a certain extent my keep it is to that meme where uh, on Twitter, it po- they post nine movies and they say you can only pick three. And the movies were, and this is the most popular movie meme I saw. If there was a more popular one, I missed it. This is the one everybody agreed on. The movies were Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction, Inception, Avengers Infinity War, The Dark Knight, The Empire Strikes Back, Space Jam, Toy Story, and Jurassic Park. That was a classic. That was a classic. That Guys, was a classic. Guys, if you're going to talk about movies, can you entertain the thought of a movie with more than one fucking woman in it? Jesus Christ. There's like six women all together in these movies, and one of them is Lola Bunny. How about you come back to life? This is disturbing. Like, like Bo, Bo Peep is a protag? Come on. 
For, and uh, also, by the way, it's not much of a question. Clearly, you're going to pick Goodfellas. Clearly, you're going to pick Pulp Fiction. And you'll probably pick The Empire Strikes Back, too. Mm-hmm. When people are obsessed with The Dark Knight, guys, it's too long. I don't know how why you haven't figured this out all these years later. It is too goddamn long. I like when the truck tips over. That's the only good part. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> guys, guys, in this meme situation, you could have thrown in a Thelma and Louise. You could have thrown in a Kill Bill, but you didn't. Yeah. You just want to watch mean men be mean together or Woody. That's it. <laughs> well, I actually would have picked the dinosaurs. I would have picked Jurassic Park and then Goodfellas and then Empire. I'm all for having a wide palette and a wide range of, but like, how can you compare any of these movies? Like, I, I don't like this. I don't like There's this There's no world. through line for I it, don't to like be it. honest. Tell me more about the person who picked Space Jam. Are they okay? What happens? <laughs> Keep them away from me. Um, yeah, I, I found that I would probably make my own version of that meme, but I really did not see the through line of someone who's like, Goodfellas, and then also Avengers Infinity War, and then also Dark Knight. I'm like, what? <laughs> Just a mishmash of um, interests. Let Martin find out that you put him in a category with Avengers. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> Let that man find out. He'll be livid. He'll be a whole op-ed about it tomorrow. Oh Marty my God. ain't having that. Uh-uh, not Martin. <laughs> not Martin. Uh, don't catch him in the mean streets. <laughs> <laughs> So my keep it this week is actually to my home state of Wisconsin. I'm sure many of you know that um, as we're recording this now, um, the Wisconsin primary is occurring and people are going to vote even though, I don't know, people should be staying the fuck home right now because of a coronavirus outbreak. And basically... Coronavirus hit, and it was causing a lot of people to want absentee ballots in Wisconsin. But because of the influx in demand, a lot of people were going to be getting their ballots after Election Day. And what Governor Tony Evers tried to do is ask Republican-controlled legislator to postpone the election. And, of course, they refused. So he tried to do it in an executive order, which was actually upheld by a conservative appeals court. But then, of course, the Supreme Court, which we love so much. The thuggery. (laughs) um, (laughs) Threw the case out. You know, and by a 5-4 partisan vote, they let the election not be postponed, and they're basically throwing out tens and thousands of ballots in Wisconsin because the GOP is evil (laughs) and soulless, and especially evil in Wisconsin, which is basically like ground zero for gerrymandering and GOP fuckery, and Evers' predecessor, um, I'm sure you all remember him, Scott Walker, who I would describe as um, the villain in a Lifetime movie. (laughs) (laughs) Not even network. Not even like movie of the week. Yeah, He just has the face of like an evil dad and like she cried no too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, also Walker is the name of like many villains in like Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead. Like I associate that with just evil. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Can we talk also just about how deficient Wisconsin has been on a pop culture level. What the fuck have you guys given us? I'm talking about <laughs> Happy Days is set there. Step by Step is set there. Other than that, you gave us a few serial killers. And let me check the wiki. Jane Kaczmarek. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> 
here I am um, going to <laughs> yeah. bat for the people of my home state. And Lewis is just like, by the way, fuck Wisconsin <laughs> for giving us nothing. Spencer I, I, Tracy went to my high school. Oh. And then he promptly left. Yes, no. Wisconsin, unfortunately, is just a squatter Minnesota. I'm sorry. If I want the lean people, if I want the lean people in North Face gear, I go to Minnesota. I do not even need to go to Wisconsin where I believe they have trees. You are blatantly and biasedly speaking like someone who's from Illinois. Oh, yeah. Yes, but you're also not defending Wisconsin that well. I will say that. I love Wisconsin, and I think that it is a great state for a lot of cultural milestones. Like, our museums are next to none. It's gorgeous in the summer, maybe even more gorgeous than Chicago. Everybody's always talking about that fucking lake. Oh, you know what everybody's <laughs> Michigan Avenue. Oh, you know what everybody's always talking about those Wisconsin museums. What planet are you on? <laughs> if you're famous and from Wisconsin, there's like a one in four shot. You're a serial killer. Wow. Watch oh, I, I I love watching Ira. <laughs> love watching Ira scramble for uh, things. Oh, you know what? At a restaurant I really liked when I was young, there was a thing called the Wisconsin Scramble, and it was really good. Like the food. Oh, I'm not. I'm not saying. Aida, you're mean. not helping. I'm <laughs> Honey badgers. All, all of this is. All of this is to say mm. that the people in Wisconsin should not have to be lining up, you know, packed together. That's true. To vote today, and the state should be doing something to better facilitate this. And you know, it's bullshit because you know, like I'm, you know, I mentioned. My grandmother earlier, you know, um, who has cancer now. And, you know, it's like she's not going to go out and vote yeah. now, you know, like and like she won't be able to get an absentee ballot. Um, so, like, this is a woman, you know, who was like born in the late 40s, you know, and went through like what black people went through before they were able to vote, you know, in this country. And it is just gross, you know, and, and especially given um all the statistics now about like how coronavirus is disproportionately affecting black people in America. Yeah. And just seeing photos of people lined up at the polls this morning already. Um it's people are gonna get sick and like people are gonna die. And it's unfortunate. It's a horrifying situation. There's like it's in fact unprecedented and it feels like it's another uh, uh, moment in the news that we'll seemingly forget about in five days, you know, yeah, with the other because... onslaught of what other Trump information we're inundated with. Yeah, but I really hope we don't because, I mean, I, I truly think this is one of the most vilest uh, political maneuvers that I've seen in recent years. Especially because the GOP damn near seems giddy to disenfranchise people oh, in of course. new ways. And then I feel like my heart really goes out to people who are working at those polling places and now have to be mm -hmm. in rooms that are going to essentially be epicenters of disease yeah. if people are going. So, I mean, it's just very frustrating. And yeah. I really hope that people who are going out to vote today are you know doing everything they can to stay safe. But it's such an unfortunate situation that they're having to muster through. Yeah, I don't even know if my mom will, you know, because like, she's yeah. the one who's taking care of her mother. You know, and she's already, uh, my mom's an essential worker in Wisconsin yeah. already, too, because she works for the post office. Um, and so I just, just like thinking about how many people this is affecting over something mm -hmm. like an election. It's gross. Anyway, <laughs> that is our show this week. Uh, thank you to Matt Rogers and Dave Mazzoni for being here. And once again, thank you all for listening. 
in the midst of this. I hope we are keeping you sane as you're all keeping me sane and I mm-hmm. think keeping Lewis and Anita sane as well. You're here, yes. Love you. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess. The one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy.